Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games, or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health and how gaming affects us. If you hear this live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. Our topic today is about getting diagnosed as an adult, but before we get to that, who are you two for the fine folks who may not know? Uh, I am Major Jordan. Um, I am a therapist in private practice in Victoria, BC. And I was also diagnosed uh, with ADHD in adulthood. So. Well, uh, hi, folks. I'm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm in a sassy mood today. I was going to come up with a really snarky answer for like what my name is. Um, because I had you both in the wrong places. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm in a sassy mood. I was uh, Reginald Von Stubbins, the fifth. I don't know. I, 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 Special I'm, guest Dr. Appearance. <laughs> I'm Dr. Rafael Bocamazzo. I'm a clinical psychologist in Washington state. I am also the clinical director over at what was at the time, the very first mental health nonprofit to serve the game community. Take this.org. And uh, I'm also an expert on the applied use of role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and clinical and learning settings. I was diagnosed, uh, they, they figured out I'm autistic when I was 35. Yeah, so. When I am 35, was 35. This is going to turn, this is I was when I was 35, time it was a, a very good Just year. remember that time is a lie. Dr. Von Stubbings, I, I look Regin forward Reg to hearing Reg from you. Reginald Von Stubbings the fifth. Esquire. This is this is the mood that we have been in today, folks. We yeah. have been very laughy before Definitely. this. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. We have it was it was chaotic, ridiculous in the pre-production meeting. Check out check Dr. B's Twitter for more on that. Um, but yeah, so getting diagnosed as an adult. And yeah, the the both of you are, you know, not only uh, good to talk about this for as your profession, but also as your experience. Um mm -hmm. So we're like I, I think I think where we wanted to start with this was why are we going to talk about this? Why do we want to talk about this? Because we said so. I mean that's fair. All right, next question. Because uh <laughs> it was in the production codes and we we agreed that we were going to. We decided on this ten weeks ago. <laughs> no, but really, what, so, what was the reason that we wanted seriously? to talk about this? Yeah. Uh, okay. Kick us uh, off, Mitra. Sure. Uh, we are going to talk about this because uh, certainly in my practice, it's relevant for my clients. And it has certainly been relevant in my personal life. Uh, and um, if you've been living with a history of, why am I like this? Um, it's very helpful. Questions to I ask about myself why. every day. Right. And sometimes there isn't a good answer. And sometimes it actually is relevant to know that, say, you're not neurotypical. So so it can be reassuring to have a diagnosis. It can also be confusing to have a diagnosis. Um, it depends on how much you actually uh, how much your diagnosis feels like a label versus a life experience. And so we'll talk about that. Um, so that's why we're talking about it. Maybe it'll matter to you guys. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <clears throat> well, there's yeah. also there's also this idea that people there's a lot of people who get missed, especially especially with quote childhood diagnoses. Um, that 
it, all diagnoses, I don't care what it is, it looks different both across your lifespan as well as where you're from. Culture, it turns out, makes a difference in how distress is both experienced and expressed. And the way kids express distress is very different than the way adults express distress. And so everything looks different at different points of your life as well. And so there's a lot of stuff like ADHD, autism, in some cases, learning disabilities, um, anxiety, and so forth that get missed when kids, when, when people are kids and even going into adulthood. Um, so that's something we're going to, we're going to talk about, I, I think a lot. Uh, one of them being that if, if you've got one kid in a classroom, who's a daydreamer and one kid who's lighting the room on fire, which one are you paying attention to? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, which one is going to get the most, the, the night, the most uh, attention in terms of, uh, in, in, in you know, services and so forth you know it's weird i i almost literally lived that scenario (laughs) and i was the daydreaming one (laughs) i was gonna say trevor we don't talk about the time almost lit you on fire all right i i it was a dare and mitra is a bad influence (laughs) terrible it was a weird first way to to meet in person uh So, so you, you kind of talked about there, what, what are some of the challenges of this? Because I I think you even said the thing about like childhood diagnosis. Mm -hmm. What is some of the the challenges when it comes to diagnoses that are diagnoses? I don't know how to say that word properly. Diagnoses. Diagnoses. Um, That is usually something that is diagnosed during childhood being diagnosed as an adult. Ah, well, I have I have one thing to add as well here, mm-hmm. and that is the cultural piece. So mm-hmm. if you are, d- depending on where you're raised, um, a diagnosis, diagnosis can get either missed or magnified, mm-hmm. right? So um, each culture, if I think about, say, the UK, right, the, and depending on the school and whether it's publicly funded or private, and that actually goes for publicly funded and private schools elsewhere, too, um, how much attention, time, energy does each child get in the classroom? And also, what do we expect of children? Because I can tell you, in South Asian cultures, we expect them to be able to sit still. And there's an awful lot of training around sitting still and being able to focus Um, and maybe less so now, but certainly back in my day, being able to memorize material and being able to kind of regurgitate it back. Um, And so, of course, that can quite quickly look like an ADHD diagnosis, but that's certainly not something that happened to me or with me as a child in that part of the world. And so I think this does play a part in how do we understand what children do and, and, and what we expect of them. And therefore, whether we diagnose them as kind of, oh, they're not fitting in. I wonder what's up with that um, versus adulthood. So, Well, there's mm-hmm. also there's also misconceptions that mm-hmm. th- this is something that I, I think a lot of people run into as an obstacle in terms of they know something's going on with them as an adult. They know something is amiss in their life. There's something that doesn't feel right. It feels off. And because you've been able to achieve certain things as an adult, there are a lot of poorly informed clinicians or medical providers and so forth who don't necessarily understand the nuance of some of these things. And they'll say things like, and I, I heard this prior to get it to, prior to my autism diagnosis. Um, I heard this all the time. Well, you're too smart for a certain, you know, for ADHD, autism, whatever you're, you're in grad school. You can't have this diagnosis. And there is a, there are a lot of biases that various clinicians have, whether it's cultural, whether it's functional, whether it's a whole lot of stuff that undercuts the level of distress that a lot of people experience in their life as an adult. Um, Because one of those changes that we have from childhood to adulthood is we learn new coping strategies Mm -hmm. that may 
work at one point and may become ineffective at others. And that's what happened with me. My, the stresses outpaced my coping strategies and my challenges became more apparent. Yeah. Yeah. And how something presents in childhood can also be different. So <clears throat> certainly as a child, I was more hyperactive. I was more impulsive and as an adult, not at all. Um, well, still somewhat impulsive, but not in a way that people would <laughs> necessarily have, have recognized as part of an ADHD experience. Uh, you dared me to no. light Trevor on fire. Why has this come up twice now? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this a made up thing that's so funny? <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be bad when we're all in the same same room for the first time. Yeah, it really will. (laughs) So you 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 talked about the the some of the as we have in our notes the obscuring things to it, but are there any other things that could obscure these diagnoses from uh, getting that as an adult? God, uh, how long do we have? <laughs> well, we are eleven minutes in, so. Uh... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we've ta- we've we've already talked about preconceived notions of what different diagnoses look like. Because one of the one of the things I, I think a lot of people may not be aware of is that every practicing provider, whether it's medical, whether it's mental health, has a certain threshold of generalized education across a b- broad variety of topics. But we have our spe- our individual specialties that we're good at. And if you go to somebody who specializes in major depressive disorder and you don't know that and you talk to them about, hey, I think I might be autistic, um, their perspective is going to be very different than if you go to someone who actually specializes in, aut- in autism, especially autism in adults, which is a pretty underserved specialty. Um, and so there's biases on the part of different clinicians. Mm-hmm. I, again, I heard that going through my doctoral program with psychologists who are like, you can't be autistic. You're in grad school. Oh yeah. And, and as well, the, the, the challenge there is you're really seeing um, not just a, I'm not seeing this and therefore I'm going to completely contradict your own lived experience. But there's also clearly a bias then against being a practitioner who has either, well, in your case, autism as a diagnosis, because it's like, you can't do this work. Even if that's not what people are saying, there's something that, you know, within us that hears that, oh, you're not okay to do this work. You might miss something. You might be too impulsive to really hear out your clients, for example you know, if it's ADHD. Um, and so no idea what you're talking about. <clears throat> none whatsoever. Did you miss what I said? What? I can repeat it. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me with hyper-focus, I can repeat it as many times as you need. Uh... <laughs> Let's just talk a little about info dumping people. <laughs> no, no, there's no talking a little about info dumping. You're getting all of it. <laughs> something i might have to say it again (laughs) (laughs) so so you know what i'm trying to think like what type of biases should people watch like might want to watch out for when trying to go get a diagnosis I mean, if someone's read or learned a little bit about the diagnosis, the worry is that they're going to see you differently. And in fact, they might. They might start to say, oh, you're late. It's because of your diagnosis, which means that the perfectly valid reasons why you might not be there um, are then not taken into account or parts of your experience get missed. Anyone with ADHD will tell you about their perfectly valid reasons. <laughs> see, I could be perfectly I just did that. incompetent. I've- without the diagnosis okay (laughs) it's fine you put that on me not always about that i feel called out etc and i do think that's that's actually quite important in terms of your relationships and nor do we want 
us using our own diagnoses as an excuse in yeah. terms of our behavior. It, it, it is often a reason, but that doesn't mean it's an excuse. The fact that we have coping skills and for years, no one even knew there was a diagnosis, including us, says that clearly we were able to cope in some ways. Were we coping as best we could? Were we paddling frantically under the surface and it still looked calm up above like them ducks? Probably. Past but tense? I mean, Okay, fine. Were we paddling? Really? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I was in the shallows eating bugs. What were you doing? <laughs> like, There's bugs? Wow. Okay, we, we, we were talking about info dumps and tenses. We're not a high writing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's there's also the cult. There's also the cultural bias, both historically and currently, again, you know, towards certain diagnoses, like, um, you know, <sighs> children of color, especially those who do not present as male, really get missed yeah. when it comes to ADHD, autism, um, and in some in a lot of cases, learning disabilities. And they are tremendously underserved, both as children and into adulthood. Um, alternative explanations are given are more likely to get like con- behavioral disorders, like conduct disorder, which does, doesn't serve them if the underlying thing is they can't pay attention. And there are definite biases uh, institutionally in those respects. Yes, I'm going to add, or they can selectively pay attention. Thank you, hyperfocus. You were just so lovely for me in English class, but my dyscalculia in math, forget that, wasn't happening. <laughs> so, absolutely. That, I mean, that's a that's a huge bias. But again, there's the as an adult, I I fear that a lot of people out there, if you've gone your entire life without getting a certain label, that I, I will tell you that when I was diagnosed at 35, it felt so validating because I realized I wasn't alone. I, I wasn't the person who was just struggling and adrift. There were enough people who struggled with similar stuff that I, I was like, oh my God, I have a roadmap now. Um, but there were there's a lot of people who are like, if you hit certain milestones, you must be fine, even though they don't take into account the idea that certain things like neurodevelopmental diagnoses, you know, autism, ADHD, um, learning disabilities, you may just have enough strategies to get through until the stressors outweigh your strategies. And that's something a lot of people much, forget. Yeah. And that was very much my experience. <clears throat> I mean, I coped with grad school without a diagnosis and it was really, really hard, but I thought it was hard for everyone. And there were some people who were certainly struggling more than I and who, as far as I understood, perhaps didn't have a diagnosis, perhaps mm-hmm. did, but a different kind. Maybe they were experiencing higher um, than they were than expected levels for them that they were expecting in terms of depression or anxiety or other life events. But I know for me, I had a whole bunch of coping strategies around how I could study, when I could study, what I had to do to organize myself and my thoughts. Um, And really the last few months in terms of thesis writing and all the rest was me in a state of hyper-focus, having absolutely no work-life balance in order to get through. You had a life at grad school? Well, I had a family. I had young children while I was (laughs) in grad school. My eldest was like 16, 17 months when I started grad school. My, my youngest, sorry, my youngest, yeah. <laughs> my youngest was 16 months. My eldest was six, wow. almost seven. Yeah. So I had a wow. six year old, a four year old and an 18 month old and when also, I started grad and school. And also while undiagnosed. So you, you, and also while undiagnosed. God, you didn't just play on hard mode. You played on nightmare mode. <laughs> yeah. No, Mitra yeah. played on hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, only, the thing that got me through was I did have a fair amount of support. Um, certainly my, my partner uh, ended up working um, two thirds time, I would say, in order to, to help. Uh, did an awful lot, took point with the kids. Um, at points we got some babysitting so I could spend some extra time 
um, working or writing essays. And then there was an awful lot of being up till four in the morning, finishing assignments. You know, my tried and true, right? (laughs) From two previous (laughs) degrees was to be like up until, you know, whenever to get something finished. Um, But when you have a teething infant, that's really no fun. I'm just going to (laughs) say so. Raise your hand if you've ever found staying up till 4 a.m. in the morning to complete (laughs) assignment fun. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yes, there were actually Are you serious? Are you serious? It's quiet. There are no interruptions. I can't tell you how great that is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Mama needs her sleep. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I seem to remember not being a morning person. And at one point, I think when I when I took the kids to school, one of my friends re- told me later that you had said, all right, you need to get into class. Remember mama's evil in the morning. <laughs> And apparently it was said kindly, but it was said. <laughs> oh my so clearly, God. I was quite sleep, sleep deprived. I, I feel like we need to do an episode with just stories from Meacher's grad school experience. <laughs> oh. Um, so, oh, God. So... What what when uh, going back to the 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 list that we got here? One of the things that we did want to talk about though was like stigma and the 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 stigma of getting diagnosed as an adult because I do think that while some people are like, hey, I think I have this and I'd like to get uh, a diagnosis about it, there's also people who are like, no, I'm fine. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to get that because uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Um, when I was um, in the midst of my studies prior to grad school, I did a year of fine arts because I was thinking about art therapy and I just wanted, and I'd also always wanted to do art. And I remember there was one of the people who was um, faculty there uh, was talking about how his daughter had just recently gotten diagnosed and he was very, very anti the diagnosis and very, very anti-medication. And if I look back to that time, this was actually very common. So we're talking about the 90s, <clears throat> And even the early 2000s says there was a lot about um, how there was too much diagnosis. Diagnosis was problematic. Uh, We were expecting our kids to fit into uh, a cookie cutter mold in terms of classroom. We were medicating them in order to study. There was a lot of literature that was examining this. And there was certainly a great deal in popular culture. So it was really quite anti-diagnosis and anti-ADHD as a real thing. So if you were having trouble, you just weren't fitting in or you weren't being taught right or worse yet, um, you know, the schools didn't care. They just wanted you to sit down and shut up and they were going to medicate you to make it happen. So Mm -hmm. this was really, there, there were a lot of blinders around what the experience was actually like. There was certainly not a lot of, um, firsthand felt sense accounts of individuals experience with ADHD and what it meant to actually have a diagnosis or appropriate medication um, or better tools, any of that. So, yeah. Well, there was a, I mean, there was a lot of stigma around it. And I'll say there's also, there was a, speaking only for myself, there was a certain degree of arrogance as well as uh, just a felt sense of normalcy. I mean, we all have our individual experiences and we have a lot of us have a bias that what we experience, well, it's normal to me. It must be what other people are experiencing too. Um, Mm -hmm. But also to uh, to borrow a phrase that um, Jessica McCabe, how to ADHD once said to me uh, that just will forever be with me is that the house looks different when you live inside of it. What it looks like to other people is very different than what it looks like to you on the inside. And so the people around me could see things externally that I couldn't because I just gotten used to the discombobulated walls and the, the wonky stairs that alternate angles and have different distances up and down. It was just what I was used to over several decades. And because nobody had, I had been relatively successful in a lot of respects um, I didn't necessarily notice the ways that I uh, that I hadn't been because um, I was just used to it. It was my baseline. But on top of that, 
there was the arrogance of, well, I've got two degrees in this already. Um, oh, I just got a third degree in psychology. I must know what's up with my own life. There's a reason that very specifically they told us to not diagnose ourselves in grad school. hundred percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause I had something new every week. Oh yeah, my, my, oh that was a fun semester. When I first started um, dating my wife, we she was taking psychology classes, and she told me about how like the first day is like you're gonna think you have everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was true. Yeah. We every one of my cohort, we had some we we all had something different every week, and coincidentally, it was what we were learning about that week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was real. It was really strange that the week I thought I had pica, which is ingesting non nutritious. <laughs> substances and i was like well i did it once on a dare <laughs> but um no there there was a certain degree of arrogance of me thinking well i must know because i'm an expert on these topics and i don't see it in myself but again the, how it looked to other people versus how it looked internally was just very very different and so that was my diet that was my bias against getting diagnosed and also just there is that stigma against that was and persists against what autism quote looks like. And that wasn't me. Well, it turns out autism doesn't look like what, what I thought autism looked like. Cause it kind of looks like this in some cases. I think that's the hardest thing about it is like, we might be quite self-reflective. Um, often you don't go into becoming a clinician or a psychologist or a therapist without being quite self-reflective it's it's pretty important to do this work and so but don't let's confuse self-reflection with the capacity to diagnose the self because they are not the same thing you know uh at all so yeah i mean you take a collection of behaviors and quirks that you've lived with your whole life and that you're familiar to working with and that you're used to accommodating right um, or that you, you know, are used to other people accommodating in you. And those look all quite normalized. And then, of course, sometimes when you're learning about things, they're not, they feel like they're suddenly alien to you, which is, I think, what you're talking about when it's like, yeah. we have had everything <laughs> that we study, right? Yeah. Am I narcissistic? Could I be, you know? And you're of course I'm narcissistic. Thinking. We're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> But if I'm questioning I'm narcissistic, what does that make me? Anyway, so we can- We were talking about me, Mitra. <laughs> oh, not me? Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, Back right, to me. So it, <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'm sorry that I dared you to eat stuff you shouldn't be eating. <laughs> Do you have to eat <laughs> Well played, well played. Um, it, it, any, any last thoughts there, Mitra, before we take a quick break? Right. Yeah, I mean, the reason I figured out, or at least it was figured out for me that there was even a diagnosis to consider was actually because of my children's experience. And this is quite common, particularly for um, those born female with ADHD or born in a female body. We, you know, because often it's showing up as inattention. Um, rather than massive amounts of hyperactive. I was certainly hyperactive. I just hit it well in school because they told me to. So <laughs> there we go. Well, I mean, that's that's another thing is, is the way different, we, we mentioned this a little earlier, the way different people are externally socialized. And a lot of the folks uh, who were assumed female at birth, um, they are socialized in childhood to be more relationally oriented, at least in the United States, and to attend to others' needs in a way that a lot of kids who are assumed male at birth aren't. Yeah. Um, well, let's take a quick break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer, and then we'll be back uh, to talk about a few more things. So we'll be right back. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. 
We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Okay, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was access to a diagnosis. Um, how How is that right now? <laughs> tough. It's really tough. So I can share how it how it looks in in I can't I don't know how it looks across Canada. Um, in my home province of British Columbia, right now, um, there is there can be up to a twenty four month wait um, to go through the usual medical channels. In other words, you speak to your doctor. Now your doctor might actually be quite comfortable offering you um, an informal diagnosis or even medication. And this is because of how safe the medication is. So depending on what else you're taking and whether there's contraindications, your doctor might actually be quite willing to support you trying something or go through, take you through some of the questions. Um, <clears throat> Otherwise, they will refer you um, to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, uh, usually a psychiatrist, and there will be a process where you have to get this people with ADHD, you have to fill out a form. Oh, it's so it's not a complicated ADHD friendly. form. Oh. It's a long form. The, so you know, long. And, and yes, and then going through the usual channels, it can be up to either somewhere between a year to two years, depending on where you are, or mm. pay $300, 300 to 1,000, depending on the service, and get it done within two weeks. Wow. So, yeah, there's a, there, there's a two-tier system, at least, sometimes a three- or four-tier system, depending. But, um, but so those are, your, those are your options. You can pay to get a diagnosis much quicker. You can then look at medication much quicker. You can get your potentially, if a diagnosis is significant to you, you may then be able to get your, your life on track. And, and that's, um, get, that, of course, depends on what we're diagnosing. So again, your doctor might be your first line of defense if you're dealing with high levels of depression or anxiety, or if you're dealing with something specific like uh, neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, then usually uh, your doctor will refer and it's a process. You, you, you sparked a memory in my head talking about the forums. Mm. When I went to go uh, to the, the doctor's office to get just an appointment to be considered to get a therapist, they were like, hey, fill out this form. And I was like, okay, flip, flip it over. Okay, uh, yeah, okay, I guess uh, gonna look some stuff up. And I took it back over to this very nice lady. And I was like, I finished filling out the form. And she takes it and she goes, oh, okay. And then opens it. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa what was that? <laughs> What, what, what are you, what are you <laughs> no, no. I was proud. I flipped it over, lady. Oh, yeah, I, was that like, I looked at the back. I, I looked the at thing. the back. <laughs> but did you look at the inside? I didn't let it fool There's me the first time. There's yeah. an inside. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I, I reacted like someone in the street seeing David Blaine do street magic. I was like, <laughs> 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 it's a transformer. <laughs> Very good. It is like the worst thing. In fact, I've spoken to to friends and clients and other adults who are in the process of particularly in my case, you know, here in terms of conversation and ADHD diagnosis. And uh, I said to one friend, so how's it going? And she's like, well, I haven't finished the forms yet. <laughs> I get <God>. it. <laughs> well, they that is, I mean, that's a struggle in and of itself. Like I know my forms to fill out are not ADHD friendly. They are not executive functioning friendly, but it's, yeah. but I have to, there's certain legal requirements. My forms yeah. have to have yeah. and either, and as well as ethical. And, um, I, it's either I leave stuff out and it's kind of ethically and legally hinky, or I put all the stuff in and I'm, I, I'm just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You passed in the form. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. But the, but the, in the United States, um, in, in the United States, they, uh, the, the process is somewhat similar and more expensive mm -hmm. because the way our insurance stuff works, it, 
it's anybody's guess whether people's insurance, if they have insurance, is going to cover certain mental health treatments. And um, I saw this. I, I saw this in the chat there that if you go to a mental health professional, a licensed mental health professional, they'll diagnose you on the first session. That's a huge controversy because um, mental health diagnoses you really have to take the time to get to know someone. And at the same time, the insurance companies are demanding diagnostic codes immediately. And if they don't have a diagnosis, then your insurance company might not pay for it, even if it's causing tremendous distress in your life. And so there's, there's a tension there, but to get something more, to get something that's really incredibly specialized, like my autism diagnosis, first of all, I had to, I spent months trying to find a mental health professional, a psychologist, a neuropsychologist who specialized in adult autism and ADHD diagnoses. And I was fortunate enough that I was married to someone with incredible insurance, incredible, covered everything. Um, otherwise, my neuropsych evaluation probably would have been about $4,000. Um and unfortunately, you know, in the United States, in order to get accommodations in the workplace and so forth, you have to have that, that official diagnosis for something. And that is not something that's accessible to everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's, that, that's true of, of uh, Canada as well. <clears throat> Theoretically, these things are supposed to be available via our medical system, but the reality is, and we've talked about this before, access to uh, psychiatrists and psychologists and sufficient insurance to cover the costs of psychologists, unless you're in um, school, and, and by this I mean <clears throat> your first 12 years of education, um, where you can get uh, support because the there's coverage for school psychologists. But one of the problems with that is, of course, they're looking at whether you fit into the school system. So right. all of the work that they're doing is geared towards that versus right. not how do you best learn, but how do we get you to learn in this environment, which are two very different questions, of course. So again, as an, as an adult, if you're coping with your environment, you're also taken less seriously. If it's not an emergency or a crisis, again, you're going to be further back in line. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if it's unless not, your mental health diagnosis, exactly. If it's not causing you profound distress and potentially putting you at risk or putting others in your life at risk of harm, good luck getting it pushed through quickly, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's where we see problems with like ADHD diagnoses is there's still stigma about it that people don't consider it a particularly egregious or harmful diagnosis in people's lives because they're not necessarily hip to how globally it tends to affect people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's a problem in and of itself. But um, to go back to to go back to what I was saying about actually getting a diagnosis in the United States as an adult, um, it's kind of similar to it's. Um, it, it's kind of similar to what Mitra said. You go to the person who may be your primary care provider, whether that's a doctor or advanced registered nurse, nurse practitioner. Um, and they will assess to see if it's something they're comfortable doing, or they will refer out to a specialist. And sometimes that specialist is a licensed mental health provider in Washington state where I am. Social workers can licensed social workers can diagnose licensed mental health counselors can diagnose uh, psychologists can definitely diagnose psychiatrists can diagnose. And then there's the confusion about who to go see. Um, mm -hmm. And your primary care provider hopefully helps you with that in the 10 minutes that you have to see them. Um, hmm. I have my own feelings on that. Mm -hmm. um, then there's insurance obstacles, but basically, yeah, your primary care provider, um, primary care provider is often the gateway into referrals to others, um, provided you have a primary care provider. Right. What if you don't? And I can tell you that here in BC, we have a massive doctor shortage right now in terms of family physicians. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't seem to want to go into family practice for some very understandable reasons. Um, and, and this is actually, I think, true of uh, many places in the US and certainly oh, yeah. also true 
in places in Europe, family practice physicians are not are under massive stress and not enough of an opportunity to do a good job with patients if you're being asked to see people every 10 minutes and you still have to do paperwork yep. that you have to submit and you still may have to do research on behalf of a patient um, or a referral on behalf mm-hmm. of a patient. All of these things take time. Yeah. <clears throat> so to do well. Yeah. Um, I did one uh, because we were getting kind of cl- uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, what about when you do get this diagnosis? Um, so speaking personally, for me, it made a, that it was the difference between working with myself or working against myself. Um, because I used to have expectations. I should, I ought, I must. How come other people can do this? How come Mm. other people are never late? How come other, you know, all of that. And there was not anywhere near enough appreciation for what I was juggling, particularly in grad school. Um, And also um, how hard I had to work to do the same things. You know, my partner has never struggled with time. I mean, he may have other challenges, but managing time and and um, uh, responsibilities um, and really assessing for himself how long things are going to take or how much they're going to cost or any of that stuff. You know, he's super good at that. And I really, I, I really do struggle with that stuff. And I didn't understand why. And I certainly assumed it was because I just wasn't good enough. So having a diagnosis was very, very helpful in terms of reframing the challenges I had experienced in my life. I, you know, I, I, it was, it was kind of a double-edged sword for me. And, um, Getting, I, I've mentioned that getting the the diagnosis of autism made a huge difference in my life. It was validating. It gave me a roadmap. It also upended everything because, and I, I've said this before in previous episodes, I, I was me that had not changed, but my, the lens through which I saw me had, mm-hmm. and my past hadn't changed in terms of the actions I took in terms of my memories, but the way I interpreted those shifted in an instant and it was like nothing had changed but everything had changed and it was at once very validating but it was also very confusing because now i had to re-examine my entire life going backwards and going forward um through this new lens and i'm still adjusting to it five years later mm-hmm. that there's still things i struggle with because for decades i had some of the stuff that mitra said remain having some of the stuff that mitra said i should be able to do certain things um why is, you know, this unfairness of why do I have to struggle with these quote unquote simple tasks that other people don't? And um, why am I so good at certain things, but so bad at others? I think that's one of the hardest ones, isn't it? It's just that the contrast, right? Yeah. And, and also, even in my case, the capacity to quite I'll say naturally, but I mean really easily concentrate, focus, whatever you want to call it on certain things, right? Versus other things that I really, really do struggle with. Um, And that's hard because we often are like, oh, I'm so good at this. Or for me, I was reading at such a young age, you know, I was reading at the age of four. um, And yet I struggled with my times tables for many years thereafter. It's like, if I was smart in one area, how come it didn't translate to this other thing over here? It, it's the way we think about intelligence and capacity um, yeah. is really unhelpful in terms of neurodiversity and diagnosis. It really 100%. cuts into it. Uh-huh. And I'm still adjusting to certain aspects of it and still adjusting to what are the medications that work best for me? What's the challenge with them? Or, you know, those questions, uh, they, that's always going to be in process to some degree or other. <sighs> Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough thing because it's also it's an it's an integration of a new aspect of identity that you may have not understood before. And I I want to credit them properly. Um, I was doing a talk a couple of weeks ago at uh, the Game Developers Conference, and it was either uh, Jay Justice or Mackenzie De Armas. Um, one of the two of them said this amazing thing, and I, I'm kicking myself that I can't remember which one of them was because they both say amazing things, and. 
it's disability is the one identity status that you can acquire halfway through your life. And that's, if you didn't think you had any sort of disability beforehand, it's now a new aspect of your identity. You have to, you have to incorporate, and that's in and of itself a significant challenge. And it's what Mitra and I are, you know, largely talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People talk a lot about ability as related to disability. Oh, but you can hyperfocus. Oh, that's a superpower. It really undermines um, uh, our experience mm-hmm. because, yeah, that's all well and good, but okay, it's compensating for some of the very real struggles we also have. And, and if you're only seeing half the picture, you're not really aware of, again, how hard I'm paddling under the surface, right? You're not really aware of the cost, but I live with it. And I know how exhausted I am at the end of some, some days, depending on just how much more work it's been. So, yeah. Well, and on top of that, I shouldn't need to be exceptional in some, in some form for my difficulties to be valid. I I actually, I've mentioned this before. I personally hate the ADHD and autism as a superpower narrative because I think so often it's shoved at us by people outside of the autism ADHD community as a way of somehow validating our struggles or making it okay. Um, We shouldn't have to be exceptional to be valid. Yeah, it's very very ableist actually for someone to do that. It's like, oh, but you're okay. Yeah, it's okay you struggle here because you're exceptional. Who, yeah. Let, it's just let okay me that I share my experience. I mm. don't need you to tell me what it should be or what yeah. it ought to be or what you think it is, you know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, any last thoughts before we uh, take a, a viewer question? Oh, so many. Uh, <laughs> probably should just get uh, to. Th- oh. Uh, the, this one, the, the other two questions, there were ones from earlier. I do feel like that we talked about those. This one, while I don't think that we can give advice on it, I do think that it is an interesting topic to, to discuss quickly, which uh, this is from, um, oh, Learn War Dancer? I'm going to go with that. Uh, question, uh, what would you recommend to adults who, uh, who by seeking a diagnosis would be disqualified from their active work? And this is actually something I was going to bring up earlier when hmm. we, you were talking about uh, this sort of thing, Dr. B. I found out, um, I know someone who is in the Navy who thinks that they have ADHD, uh, but cannot go get a diagnosis because the United <sighs> States Navy sees ADHD as being too close to bipolar disorder and would completely disqualify him from his job and he would be discharged. Yeah, yeah, it's... I mean, go on. No, it, we, I, I mean, first of all, the, I think the United States military needs to, <laughs> needs to change their view on a lot of aspects of mental health challenges that mental health challenges do not inherently make you a security risk. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, um, I, I, so I laugh because it turns out I know who <laughs> sent this question. They text me that I said it right. <laughs> it, it, and it, there's no easy answer. If there was an easy answer for this, um, you'd have it by now. It's a very personal decision how to interface with potentially getting a diagnosis and risking, uh, you know, various career risks in careers that have backwards archaic views of Mm -hmm. mental health diagnoses. Um, Yeah. I I, I don't have an easy answer for you. Yeah. No, I don't either. And it of course infuriates me because it's just a systemic problem, yeah. not just, but it is a systemic problem. And I wish, um, I wish it didn't exist because unfortunately we know that stigma and bias is real yeah. and, and we all have to protect ourselves. But if protecting ourselves means not getting our health needs and our emotional needs and our, you know, not getting all those needs met, that's, absolutely awful mm-hmm. and i wonder actually if it does play into some family physicians being willing to support medication without an official diagnosis because if we don't have an official label or diagnosis then in that sense perhaps we're protected and that's a real shame as well 
Yeah. I'm, I'm glad for people who can get the help that they need in that way. But I'm appalled because so much, um, you know, other mental health issues like depression and anxiety disorders, and of course, bipolar disorder, which benefits profoundly from medication. These again, uh, there's, there's so much stigma still. Yeah. That, I, I think that one is definitely has to be a uh, personal decision sort of thing. Yeah. Which is extremely unfortunate. And I'm, Sorry that there's there's not a better thing to say there. Um, yeah, the, the I I think at the end of the day, a, adult diagnosis for a lot of these things is something that it, it, you you really need to think about, regardless of where you are. But like, you know, do what you feel is going to be best for you. Yeah. Um. Well, we got to start wrapping up because we do have a show coming up right after this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Also, uh, friends, where can people find you on the interwebs if they would like to do so? People can find me at MitraJordan.com, um, which is my professional site and point of contact. Or, of course, at Twitter. <laughs> Well, not at Twitter. But, yeah, no, yeah, no, you, definitely you, at definitely at, at Twitter if you're trying to reach Mitra. It's going to be <laughs> hilarious. It's one very confused social media manager. Uh, what about you, Doctor B? I'm around. Uh, I don't know if you put some espresso, a D20, a vest, or a bow tie, or a hat. You pick four out of five in a summoning circle and say student loans four times. I appear. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you can find me that on is, pretty much all the, the socials at the doctor b that's t-h-e-e-d-o-c-t-o-r-b as in boy um I, i'm around for a lot of stuff but if you want to follow someone make sure to follow take this that's take this org on all the socials you can keep up to date on all the stuff we're doing and you can uh even see some of the new video get links to some of the new video content that we're putting out there specifically for content creators yeah i was uh, just thinking like well what would, what would be in my summoning circle and i know there's at least one really hard to find item which is a phone with at least nine twitter accounts connected to it um <laughs> you can find me on twitter at the trevor there is an a hiding in there uh it be but uh yeah be sure to stick around after this because uh bardic inspiration is back uh but it is a request episode uh jason charles miller is being joined by lauren urban and is taking requests from the chat to play Freebird. some really fun songs <laughs> freebird <laughs> We, do, we, we, we gotta get at least one song in the style of Freebird for I, I think I think that'd be a pretty cool one. Uh but uh but yeah, thank you to Marza Martin for moderating in the chat today and doing a fantastic job. Uh thank you to Codename Entertainment and take this.org for giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. Uh if you miss any part of this show, you can catch it later as a podcast on your favorite podcast service. Um and uh next week is our season finale. Uh, we will be answering uh, past questions from the season that we didn't get to, and maybe some from before the season as well, depending on how many we have. Um, but uh, that means that we are going to be uh, setting up for a season after this, which means we would love your topic suggestions. Uh, you can send those into Champions of Psychology at CodenameEntertainment.com, or you can just tweet them at us. Uh, and let us know what you would like us to talk about. You can reply to the, uh, you know, the announcement tweet that we have for the show each week with uh, topic suggestions if that is an easier way for you. Um, but yeah, that is going to do it for this week's episode. So until next week, take care of yourself.